0: The Lord's been speaking to my heart the last little while, mainly because I needed rest. And, uh, and so when you need rest, you, you can really, it's evident in your life where you're doing it in your own strength and where you need to just lean on Him. You know, when you feel like you're running well, you're not really aware of stuff like that. You, when things seem like, oh, I'm just doing so great and I feel great, you can kind of easily just keep running. When you start to feel tired, it, it becomes way more evident in your life where you've been doing it in your own strength. And, uh, and that's when you can go, oh, wow, Lord, thank you for your grace and your mercy that shows me these things so that I can once again stop. How many times have I said that this year? Stop. Just kind of redirect your gaze, look at Jesus, posture your heart in that place of dependence and walk in him. And I'm so grateful for the love of God. I'm so grateful for his kindness. I'm so grateful that that's how he treats us, that he's a father. And so when we as his kids sometimes want to carry the burden that he didn't ask us to carry, he just waits for us to stop. And then when we stop, he goes, can I take that back? Thank you. Put that back on the right side of the yoke. Your job is just to stay yoked to me. And I think maybe there's some of you here today where life got pretty loud and intense. September has been interesting. It's got really, like everything accelerated, got fast. Life is at 100 miles an hour. And everybody's already starting to think December's around the corner, December's around the corner. And that's typical Joburg culture. But it's like when that starts to happen and life gets loud, it's a good opportunity to stop. It's a good opportunity in the midst of life telling you to speed up, to slow it down and go like, wait, hold on a second, Lord. I don't want to carry the burden that you didn't ask me to carry. I want to stay yoked to you. And so as the Lord's been speaking to me about this, um, I've just noticed things in my own life, but also noticed things in the church globally. And and this year I've traveled more than I've traveled ever before, Um, not just internationally, but even within South Africa and and the relationships that we've been building and, and the hearts that are connecting across South Africa. It's so beautiful. To see and uh, uh, I'm excited to see how that unfolds into next year but as I've done that I've just realized a few things and the Lord's been ministering this to my heart the last couple of weeks and in the last three four days this has really come alive as I've kind of tried to take time to rest and how many of you know when you're running really fast and you stop you don't know what to do with yourself like <laughs> Friday was my first day of, of leave And uh, I was saying to the team earlier, it's like when you've been running hard for months and months and months and then you just stop. I was literally walking around the house and and Jess was like, what are you doing? I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I feel like I should be doing something. I'm like, should I redo the cupboards? Should I like put things up? You know, can I do some gardening? What should I do? Uh, And I realized like, wow, that's how quickly life has been going in our heads. That when we stop, it's like sometimes you got to let your mind slow down. And I, I realized this, we're not meant to live that way. And it's so interesting to me that, you know, I reckon for people in the corporate world, you know, it's like, yeah, that makes sense. Life is like that. But I want to tell you, it's like that in ministry too. And if you don't actually steward your heart, your thoughts, and your emotions well, you can end up running so fast that you're missing the joy of His presence every day. Or, or if I can simplify it and just say, His pace and His rhythm. And when you're in His pace and His rhythm, there's always fruitfulness, It might not seem as fast as everybody else, but one of the most profound things that a friend of ours from Eurasia said on one of our uh, online classes when he was teaching our team, he said this, he said, "Um, if you have a look at nature, you'll see the rhythm of God. He says, have you ever seen nature in a rush? It really touched me. He's like, when you slow it down long enough to actually watch what he created operate, It doesn't seem to be in a rush, and yet everybody's taken care of. Do you get what I'm saying? And when he said that, I was like, whoa. And and he said, You know, the human heart takes time. How beautiful is that? Like, Jesus knows that. He created it. And he knows that your heart takes time. And so he's not in a rush to get you fixed up and, and sorted real quick. He's actually in the process and the journey of ministering the fullness of his grace and his mercy to your life. And he loves the journey. And I'm realizing if he loves the journey, it's probably a good thing if I learn to love it. Because sometimes we're in such a rush to have everything figured out. We are so results oriented that we are missing the beauty of right now with him. Do you hear what I'm saying? And I know, because I could feel it in the room this morning. I feel, I feel it. You guys probably feel it. It's a, it's a little intense at the moment. Life is quite loud. And uh, you, know, you can feel people are like, wow, there's a lot going on. And I'm going, Lord, we need to slow down and stop and pause and get into the rhythm of God again. And do you know what that means? It means that even when the world wants to increase the pace, go for it, off you go. You go, run faster, but I'm gonna stick to the pace of God because I know that fruitfulness is here. I know that I can trust him. I know that if he takes care of the birds, how much more is he gonna take care of me? I'm not gonna stress because the reality is the world and and the systems of, of this world are not my source or my provision, he is. And so I don't even have to, my job cannot dictate the pace of my life. And I think most people are struggling because it is. Work and and, and the duty of your job can dictate to you the pace of your life. And then you wonder why you need a holiday every four to six weeks. And then you wonder why when you come back from the holiday, you don't even feel like you had one. You're ready for the next one. And I think it's because in our soul realm, we've got to learn to slow it down and actually just be present with the Lord every day. And so... Before I get onto this, there's something that was on my heart um, that we've had to journey as a church and as a house. But I want to say this first: um, when I when I look at the gospel and I look at the New Testament, what I don't see is a God who is results results-oriented. It blows my mind. And I'm a, I mean, I've done that personality test. Uh, I am an achiever, apparently. That's what they said. I don't define myself by these tests because I'm a born again. Radical son of God. But th- there was aspects of my nature where I know that I'm quite driven to meet the task. I'm driven to tick the box. I-, I like lists. I like goals. In fact, I have a birthday question, which I'll be asking Dan later. And everyone laughs at me because it's such an achiever question. I'm like, so what was your highlight of the last year and what's your goals for the next year? Because you know? that's how my mind works. But I look at the New Testament. I look at, at the Bible and I'm going, I'm not seeing a God whose results orientated. In fact, when I see people put the pressure on him to perform, he seems to disappear. There's crowds in front of him saying, you're the king, let's make him king now. And, he, and suddenly Jesus works his way out of the crowd and disappears. And everyone's like, where'd he go? And when everyone starts to love him, he starts to say things like, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you're not of me. And everyone goes, cannibal. <laughs> and everybody, thousands leave. And he turns to his 12 and goes, and you too? Like, what is it about this man who is just so not designed around results and seeming successful and meeting the task. And he's just not like that. He's at his own pace and he's in step and he says, I only do what I see the Father do. I only say what the Father says. I'm in this rhythm of walking with God. And to Jesus, that's success. And what I love about that is there's no pressure there. There's only abandonment. Now, I want to take that and I want to apply it to different areas of your life because this is what I'm realizing. You know, my dad, with with this... Nerve thing that happened is so weird, man. It's like the day my mom left, this thing happened, and and it really grabbed a hold of his, his body. And so I've had people come to me and go, "Have you prayed for your dad?" Do you? so, like uh, I just, uh, when people ask me that question, I just want to slap them. I'm like, "Do you really think I would have gone a month and not prayed for him?" Um, we I prayed for him multiple times. We've prayed for him as a church. Many of you have been there and prayed for him, and we haven't seen the result. And this is what, I, what I'm concerned about in our theology. This is not on us as a church. This is the, the, the understanding that's happened in the Western context. Is like, If we don't see the result now, we need to find a reason as to why not, and we need to find someone to blame. And what really saddens my heart is that often the easiest one is the person who's actually struggling. And so what we do is we go... You obviously need to sort something out. So it's witchcraft. Witchcraft has come against you. I mean, my dad's had uh, people outside of 24-7 church come and actually say this stuff to him and cast demons out of his back and make him in pain. Stretch over. No, stretch more. Stretch more. Uh, he's freaking out. And I'm going, come on. This is not the heart of God. Put him in a spasm for the next two, three days. Come on, right? Or we go, you know what? You're in unbelief, Grant. And it breaks my heart, and I'll tell you why. Because I, I do believe in healing. I believe in instantaneous miracles. I have laid my hands on people with cancer. They got healed. I have watched a, a girl who, she was actually 21 years old. She looked like she was seven. We prayed for her, and over the space of a month, she grew by four to five centimeters every night until she was back to the height. of. I have prayed for people with no thumbs. Thumbs have come. I've prayed for people who have no muscles in their legs. Muscles have developed in their legs. We've got stories. We've seen God do this. And then I pray for my dad, nothing happens. And then, and then what happens is we, we want to go the intellectual route and ask the questions like we have a right to decide what the result and outcome is. Well, why didn't it happen? So then it's easy to blame the person instead of actually taking responsibility yourself. So I want to teach us something. And I, I, the reason why I want to teach you this is because I believe if we do this well, we represent Jesus well. If you pray for somebody and they don't get healed, can I ask you to do one thing? Say you're sorry. And you go, why would I say I'm sorry? Because instead of putting the emphasis on that person for why they didn't get healed, put it on yourself and say, thank you for giving me the opportunity to pray for you. I'm still growing. I'm still growing in my relationship with Jesus and in my faith. But thank you for allowing me to step out and trust God with you. Do you know what that does? It leaves that person with the love of God. And what they know is that they're loved. Not that, well, something's wrong with me because everybody's praying for me and I'm not getting healed it's so twisted and can i also just say this please stop forcing people to bend over and test it do you know why because i promise you when i've seen miracles and signs and wonders i haven't had to force them to do anything the power of god flows they know are you with me i know when i and i please hear me i've been the guy who said test it bend over and every time I've done it, I've felt a little bit uncomfortable about why I did that. Because what's actually what I'm trying to do is prove to you that I just prayed for you and you got healed. The reality is, what if actually it's not about me getting any recognition? And if you didn't get healed right now, but you get healed tonight, give God the glory. My job is to be obedient and faithful and just to go and release what He's given me and trust Him for that. I operate in faith, but I'm not looking for, for the result. I'm not looking for recognition right now. I want to be obedient to Him. I am not the healer. He is. And so the reality is, because of social media, we've got this culture of, I want to have the story to tell. And we put it under the guise of testimony. Now I believe in testimonies, I love testimonies. But it doesn't have to be instantaneous. In fact, what I love is that actually it's not my testimony, it's that person's testimony. I would prefer, I'm just being real, is this okay? I would prefer that the people who get healed, that they come share their testimonies. Because otherwise what we produce is this performance culture. Like, wow, Connor went to these places and prayed for people and they got healed. And then people come and ask me the question, why isn't it happening here? And I go like, I don't, I don't know. I go out there and maybe it's because you can get comfortable here. I don't know. I'm still on a journey. I'm learning. I'm growing in the Lord. And maybe when I'm out in the Middle East and it's life and death, you, there's a different degree of faith. And I'm still growing to have that faith here. And like, we don't know these things. And let's stop trying to be intellectual about it and start yielding and submitting to the Holy Spirit. Now, why am I saying this? I'm saying this because our heart is to actually represent Jesus and Jesus is love. And so my heart is that as 24-7, when we pray for the sick, that they would come away feeling loved, never feeling like they missed something, never feeling like, I'm going to go down a road in a second, but can we stop blaming everything on an attack? Can we just stop that? It's like, you know. Everything went wrong today. I'm under attack. No, you're not under attack. Things went wrong. We've given the devil so much authority. He doesn't have it. Are you with me? <laughs> I'm so tempted to go down a road here. Okay, I'm going to do it. <laughs> we, are, we are doing the book of Revelation. And I've never studied the book of Revelation like I've studied it now. In fact, what shocked me is most of my theology and uh, eschatology, I hate that word, it's so long, um, all of of my perspective around it, I realized for so long, was shaped by what I'd been told by other people. And then I went and studied it myself, and suddenly I had questions. And I was going like, I'm not sure I'm sitting with this whole seven-year thing, thousand years, literal thousand years, we're all just waiting for this time to come, uh, when I study the scriptures, I'm going, oh, it's, I'm not seeing it like that. And, and if you've been with us on the Bible study, I'm the first one to put my hand up and say I'm teachable. I don't know it. I don't have it figured out. If I'm wrong, beautiful. However, I feel like I'm on to something. In the whole Bible, everything, the emphasis is all around one event. Whether you're in the Old Testament or whether you're in the New Testament, it all points to one event, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay. Then you get to the book of Revelation and the first line is, this is the revelation or the unveiling of Jesus Christ. It didn't say this is the explanation of how the end is going to happen. It didn't say that. It said this is the revelation of Jesus Christ, the unveiling. In other words, the book is about discovering who Jesus is and what he's done. So now I began to study this and and you guys have been on the journey. So you've been week, week to week with me figuring it out. Literally, my dad and I, we have the weekly debates, you know, where we, like, wrestle with the stuff, like, what the heck is going on here? I mean, I'm so, I'm so grateful we've got through the locusts and stuff, man. That was intense. How many of you watched that one? That was super intense. Like, you know, scorpion tails and they're stinging people, attacking people. Like, And then some people believe it's literal. And I'm going, Lord, help us if there's actually going to be these locusts with scorpion tails and they come at us and sting us and attack us. Obviously, it's not literal. Like, let's not throw our brains out, Right. We know that it's actually a picture that's teaching us about a spiritual concept, which is that the enemy comes with thoughts of deception and the sting of the lie, false teachings, all that kind of stuff. We've unpacked that. But everything that I've looked at, I'm convinced of this one thing. Majority of what what you read in Revelation is actually not about the second coming of Jesus. It's actually about the cross. And then there's a section that is about his return. So please don't misquote me. I believe in the return of Jesus. I'm not a lunatic. I believe in that. But there is so much that we have said is about his return. And, and what made me realize this and what was sad for me was that that perspective of the end makes Jesus a really confusing, um, in some sense, weak God. Because did he not defeat the devil on the cross? You hear me? It's like uh, Colossians says that he actually made a public spectacle of the enemy in a triumphal procession. He actually did that. He, He disarmed them, the rulers and principalities. He completely conquered the enemy. So I'm sorry, I don't understand if he did that and made a public spectacle of them, why would he release the devil again a second time and go like, have at it. And then I'll kick your butt a second time. I don't think he's like that. I think he did it. And so, if you, I don't have the time to do it now, but there's, you know, things around the thousand years and the millennium. I'm absolutely convinced it's not a literal thousand years. If you study everything in, in Revelation, I'm convinced of it. 99.8% of everything in Revelation, I believe, is symbolic. And if you look at a thousand, it means mature, it means fulfillment, it means complete, it means. You've come into the fullness of something. So if the devil's been bound for a thousand years, I think it's a picture of the devil is 100% kaput. He is finished. He has been bound. He has been conquered. And we rule and reign with Jesus for a thousand years. I think what it means is the bride is coming into maturity, thousand, coming into the fullness of what Jesus has paid for. And when she comes into that fullness, he's going to return for her and we will rule with him for all of eternity. In other words, if you want a millennium, I think we're living in it. I think we are living in the bride, Ephesians 4, I'm going to get there. Coming into maturity, into who? It says there, into into maturity, into the fullness of the stature of Christ, the perfect man. That's what we're coming into, okay? Then it says that the devil will be allowed to go and deceive the nations. Do you not think that is happening right now? Do you not think that that's been happening since the resurrection of Jesus? And he doesn't have authority because he has been defeated. So he has no authority. So all he has left is to deceive. Doesn't that sound like the garden? He didn't have authority to actually change anything. All he could do was deceive Adam and Eve because they had authority to do that. God has given authority to man. He has not given any authority to the enemy. So can we stop centering the end times around the devil? Because yeah. the, the first line is, this is the unveiling of Jesus Christ, not this is the revealing of the Antichrist. Yeah. Are you with me? Yeah. Uh, Brian Simmons says it really, and, and, you know what? If people go, oh, why are you quoting Brian Simmons? Get over it. The guy's a legend, okay? <laughs> N- nobody's got it 100% Right? Right? But I think he said something pretty profound. He said if you're looking for an antichrist, he's probably in your seat. Because your nature outside of Jesus is antichrist. If you are not born again, the nature of fallen humanity is antichrist. It's a wild beast. Okay. So, I find this so interesting. The devil's been bound. He's been conquered at the cross. The church is walking in maturity with Jesus, growing into everything that he's called us and paid for us to be. We are learning to walk in our authority as sons and daughters. Okay? The devil is allowed to deceive the nations, but he has no authority. He only has the authority that you give him. He, can't, he doesn't have anything in his own right, only what you give him. Okay? So he goes to deceive the nations, and it says eventually he gathers uh, the nations together to oppose Christ. And guess what happens? I read it in my Bible. It blows my mind. It's so quick. And fire fell down from heaven and consumed them. It's in your Bible. See, we've we've watched too many movies and heard too many weird preachers around this stuff, that we've dragged it out like what's going to happen is there's going to be this slow torment and torture for every single one of us. I'm like, actually that word for tribulation means pressure. I don't know about you, but I think there's a lot of pressure around us. And to be honest with you, I think there's been pressure since Jesus died and was raised. And I think every generation has experienced that. And I think the unveiling of Jesus is showing that every generation could read the book of Revelation and relate. Because the, I think the biggest lie of the enemy has been that we read this book and think that's for a future generation that's to come. So then what happens? It doesn't, it doesn't relate to me. I don't spend time on it. When, how often do you hear a preacher get up on a Sunday and preach out of the book of Revelation? Except for Revelation 4 and 5. Right? Why? It says that whoever reads this book is blessed. We should probably read it a lot. But we've been scared to do it because we've put it off for a future time going like there's going to be a generation that's going to have to endure this. Let's all pray that we're not them. (laughs) Right? And then what happens is the church is afraid of of the return of Jesus. But we're supposed to be His bride. And it's interesting to me that the New Testament is full, and I mean full, of Paul and, and James and Peter and John writing about the return of Jesus and talking about how we are to be ready for Him. In fact, Paul writes in, I've been studying Thessalonians, and Paul writes in Thessalonians, and he, he actually says to them, hey, you know, the day of the Lord's coming, and, um, and so, you know, be ready and, and prepare yourself for this, and he's, he's getting excited. And then he writes to them again because he realizes that, the, that he's been misunderstood, And he goes, hey, I just want you to know that he's not going to come like a thief in the night for you. Hello? Because we heard the scripture like, oh, he comes like a thief in the night. Yeah, but then Paul explains it. He goes, not for the believers. For those who don't know Jesus, it's going to be a shock. But for the believers, they're actually prepared. So he says, so guess what? Comfort yourselves. He says, comfort one another. Encourage one another. Endure. He uses this word, endure, right? Endure what? Yes, there's going to be pressure, and every generation is going to experience tribulation to an extent. And there is no, just so you, when you study the the original transcripts, there is no great tribulation, or the great tribulation. There's tribulation. And Jesus said it, in this world you will have, hello. So I, and again, I'm happy to to be taught and to be wrong. This is just, as I've been studying this, What I see is that everything is pointing to the cross because at the cross, the greatest thing in history happened. Now, do you understand that when Jesus died, he had to come outside of time? How does he take past, present, future if he's still in time? He dies, and when he dies, he leaves the realm of time. He conquers death and hell. He takes the keys. Hello. He's got the keys. I think that's a pretty intense victory. If I come and steal the keys to your house... I think I own you. (laughs) Takes the keys, and then it's so interesting because he he actually is then seated at the right hand of the Father. And if you really study all of this, that had to have happened even before he revealed himself and then ascended from the earth. Because why did he not let Mary Magdalene touch him? He said, you can't touch me. I haven't got my resurrected body yet. But then a chapter later, he says, Thomas, touch my hands and my side. What's the difference? I think Jesus was between death and Hades and the right hand of the Father, and he stopped on the way just to meet Mary Magdalene because he loves her. Because that's Jesus. Anyway, side so thing, that gets me emotional. But <clears throat> So why am I saying this? If the devil has no authority, and he can only have the authority that you give him, That means you are perfectly set up every day to crush hell for a living. Because he has no authority. So, let me just clear this up for people. If you are a born-again believer and you have the spirit of Jesus inside of you, you cannot be demon-possessed. It's impossible. God does not share space with the devil. Okay, If you are born again, if you have given your life to Jesus, your life is His. The enemy has no right to even touch you. Most of what we call demonic possession or demonic manifestation is called the flesh. <laughs> I'm going to get there in a second. Okay, If you are not born again, your spirit is dead. Hello? Your spirit is dead, and so you're living soul and body. So if your spirit's dead, you have no authority. And so, of course, there can be demon possession. I've seen it. Where the person is not, they're not under their own control or influence. How many people have seen that? Where you meet somebody and you go, like, yeah, that's not even you. Um, I mean, we've been to some dark places and, and people have tried to scratch me and spit at me and, like, attack me and stuff. And you're like, no normal human being does that. Or, like, when people get down and start acting like a dog and growling at you. I'm just being honest. Like, this is, let's not live a sheltered life. This is what happens out there. And then you look at that and you know like that's not that person. And so what should happen is instead of us being afraid, we should rise up and bring the reality of Jesus because it doesn't have authority. Demons have to listen to believers. Have to. Yeah. Yeah. Have to. Yeah. It's not a fight. I'll tell you what is a fight. Flesh and spirit. We'll get there. Demons have to listen. So you don't have to be afraid of, if you're born again, you do not have to be afraid of demons. If you speak, they listen. Every time Jesus confronts a demon, and by the way, Jesus didn't hunt demons. There's another thing. Jesus wasn't like on the prowl going like, bring me all the demon-possessed people. Right, let's go. I've got a deliverance ministry. No, he wasn't doing that. They came to him. In fact, they come to him and fall at his feet. And then it's a word, and they leave. Even Legions. That's the authority that we carry in Christ, okay? So, <laughs> believers can't be possessed by demons, but there's something different, and it's called oppression, okay? Now, this is very real. I've walked this in my life, and this is where it gets intense because there's, a, there's deception and lies that come at your mind and your brain, and it gets really real. Uh, for me, some of the darkest times in my life were under that oppression where what happens is deception comes, and I start to believe that, and it actually can cripple you, where there is a there is an expression and a manifestation of that. But the manifestation is not a demon; it's your flesh, it's 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 the, your nature without God, which needs to be put to death by faith. It's that thing that starts to freak out. So I, you know, for me, I would have uh, anxiety attacks, panic attacks, depression, suicidal thoughts. Um, all this kind of stuff and, and it would come at me and it would get so loud that I couldn't see anything else. I couldn't hear anything else. It was like, now that wasn't that I had a demon inside of me. So can we stop putting that on people? Right? Like, can we let's not do that because that's not love. Can we actually just see that, that that's oppression of your mind? And so what what actually brings truth and transformation is the the gospel, the word of the Lord, and us believing it and stepping into our authority as sons and daughters. And the thing that changed for me was realizing, oh, you don't get to tell me how I'm going to think. That's what changed for me. It was like, oh, hold on. I have the authority, not you. You're just lying to me. And I've made a decision to believe what you're saying to my head. And, And let me just say this. It wasn't a flip the switch and everything's all good. I had to renew my mind. I had to go on a journey of reading the word and, and processing with people that I trusted who could speak truth into my heart so that my mind was starting to come into agreement with what God said until it became normal to me. Do you hear what I'm saying? So I want to set you free and go the devil has no authority. You do. Please don't let him eat your lunch, <laughs> don't let him steal your lunchbox. <laughs> He's a bully. And, and the interesting thing about that is that it's all deception and lies. He's got a lot of bark, but the reality is Jesus m- muzzled him. He has no authority. So what happens, for example, when you see if you're in a church service and somebody starts, uh, if, a, if a Christian, a believer, starts to manifest? We've seen it. We've been in situations. I've, I have it a lot when we go and minister. Worship is happening and suddenly somebody starts like groaning or, or like, you hear this noise, and they start to shake or they fall or they uh, and you know it 's a little bit intense and stuff. Galatians says that the flesh is opposed to the spirit. So when truth comes, and where you 've believed a lie about yourself, where there 's been oppression, you believe the lie, when truth comes and sets you free, your flesh might freak out a little bit. So maybe we should stop telling people they have demons in them and start celebrating that they're getting set free from a lie. There is a very clear difference for me. I, I, I know some of you, this is maybe challenging your whole last 20 years of Christianity, but um, my heart is this. God loves people, and our, our responsibility is to represent the love of God. And I, I'm just realizing more and more, because we are so results oriented it's impressive for me to tell you it's a demon and I just cast it out. Somebody, their flesh starts manifesting and we start shouting, Get out! I don't see Jesus doing that. I'm just being real. And I know I'm, now I'm cutting across every deliverance ministry, but the reality is we are called to bring deliverance, but the way Jesus did. You know, the, the guy here had the legion, Jesus tells him to get out, cast them into the pigs. The pigs run off a cliff and kill themselves. <laughs> And then this man is like completely in awe with Jesus and he wants to follow Jesus and Jesus says, no, go, go and actually tell 10 cities. Like, don't, don't, you know, don't come with me right now, but this man ends up preaching the gospel to the Decapolis, 10 cities. His life was changed and he, he was treated with love. He was treated with honor. So now when we're in environments, and that stuff starts to happen to believers where they, there's a lie that's been in their head and they're getting set free and they don't always manifest like that. Sometimes it's different and you don't and you just get set free. And I'm like, yay, that's, I celebrate that. But sometimes people freak out and groan or shout. And then everyone's like, Ugh, and it's awkward in the room and it's like, demon. <laughs> And what's horrible, we've had to journey this, even in here where guys come to me and go like, I didn't know I had a demon in me. Like, how did it get in and what door did I open? I'm like, your life is Christ's. The only guy at the door is Jesus, on the inside and on the outside. He's knocking both sides. He knocks at the door, he opens the door for you. Hello. You're completely his. I hope this is setting you free. So then this removes fear, and it removes fear of, of, I don't want to let God set me free because I'm scared of what it's going to look like, what other people are going to say. That was me for a long time. I knew there were parts of my life, I'm like, Lord, I know you really want to touch me there, but I don't know what happens when you touch me there, because it's sore. You get me? It's like, there's a part of my life that I know you really want, and it's yours, but you want to touch it. And I'm scared that when you touch it, I'd break. And then it's like, I don't want people to see that, I don't want people to know that that's actually been a hard place for me. And so what happens is we begin to perform. And I'm just going like, let's set the church free and just go, if the church created an environment of the love and kindness of the Father, we can really walk in freedom. Because maybe we stop elevating the devil and calling every manifestation the devil and go like, no, actually God loves people and He's setting them free. Can we celebrate the fact that that person just got set free from a lie that's kept them bound for so long? Because your flesh gets angry when it loses. Some people might not growl and freak out, but what they do is they, you know, leave church and head down to the pub. You wonder, why the heck, how did I find myself here? Well, your flesh is freaking out. (laughs) Do you get what I'm saying? Does this make sense? And so, if we understand that Jesus has paid the highest price, the victory that we have in the cross is that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Christ. And then he says, go. Meaning what? Everything that I have, I've put inside of you and I want you to carry that on the earth. I want you to walk in maturity. I want you to walk in power. And we see it in Ephesians. You can actually go there. Um, There's so much, but... Your. What if the victory that we read about in the book of Revelation happened at the cross and Jesus wants us to reveal it to the world and to the angels? Ephesians chapter 3. Verse 10 says, So now through the church, the multifaceted wisdom of God might now be made known, revealing the mystery to the angelic rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This is in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. Carried out, are you with me? In whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. And Amplified says, that is, our faith gives us sufficient courage to freely and openly approach God through Christ. So it sounds like everything's been done. He prays this prayer, verse 16. May He grant you out of the riches of His glory to be strengthened and spiritually energized with power through His Spirit in your inner self, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through your faith. And may you, having been deeply rooted and securely grounded in love, be fully capable of comprehending with all the saints the width and length and height and depth of His love, I love the Amplified, it says, fully experiencing that amazing, endless love. And that you may come to know, through personal experience, the love of Christ, which far surpasses knowledge without experience. Are you hearing this? God doesn't want you to have knowledge without experience. He wants you to have fullness. That's what He paid for. That you may be filled up throughout your being to all the fullness of God, so that you may have the richest experience of God's presence in your lives, completely filled and flooded with God himself. Now to him who is able to carry out his purpose and do superabundantly more than all that we dare ask or think, hello, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Are you seeing this with a new perspective all of a sudden? It's like he's preparing a new Jerusalem that's his bride. We read about it in Revelation 21 and 22. He's preparing a bride for his glory. He has whipped the devil's butt, and he's given us everything that we need to walk in him. Now as we walk in faith in Jesus, we're becoming like him. More and more, not just in position, but in the way we live our lives. So now the mandate of Jesus, he's entrusted to us. He says it in John 20 or 21, 20, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. In other words, the commission I had to come on the earth, I'm now putting that inside of you. I've given you everything that you need to represent me. And so here's this interesting thing. If we walk in the fullness of Jesus, we're called to live a life in the reality of God. Now I want to challenge us a little bit. What does that look like? Because I don't think the evidence of a life that's carrying the substance or the evidence or the reality of God. I don't think it just looks like getting the results. I think if our lives are centered around the results, what we're doing is building our Christianity on a ministry experience rather than the revelation of Jesus. And you say, what are you talking about? Well, I get nervous if we can preach in front of people, go after healing the sick, and want to see signs, wonders and miracles. But we don't see the evidence of Jesus in our day to day life with your wife, with your family, in your job, in how you steward your finances. Are you with me? In how I react and respond to things, my nature, my character. I think it's a, it, it should be worrying to us if the expression of our Christianity is results orientated around a ministry expression. But what we're not seeing is the nature of Jesus cultivated and revealed in and through me. Are, are you with me? And I'm, I'm with you here. I'm not preaching at you. This is the Holy Spirit ministering to us as a church. I'm in this place with you going, Lord, I want that. I want to be somebody that carries the substance of his presence, not just knowledge about how to do ministry. The goal of your Christianity is not ministry. In any expression, the goal of your Christianity is Him. To be filled with the Holy Spirit, it, in, in Ephesians, I think it's one, or two, 1, yeah, it talks about how He is actually the down payment, He's the guarantee of the fullness of what we will receive when Jesus returns. When we walk in the Holy Spirit now, we are walking in the reality of something that one day when Jesus returns, I'll put off this flesh and there won't be anything in me that opposes Him anymore and I'll just be with Him in perfect oneness with all of you. What a joy. That's something that I'm longing for. I'm not afraid of. Are you with me? We have to take the fear off of the book of Revelation and the fear off of the end and go like, it's the most glorious day. Because it's interesting that right after it says that fire comes down and consumes the enemy and and those that oppose Christ, right after that, we're standing before the great white throne of judgment. And if your name's in the book of life, it's pretty exciting. When When the disciples cast out demons, They cast out all these demons and they go, Lord, even the demons are subject to us. And he says, don't rejoice in that. Rejoice that your name's in the book of life. Jesus is saying, don't rejoice in what you can do from a ministry point of view. That's supposed to flow from your life. Rejoice that you know me. Rejoice that I'm your reward. Rejoice that I'm the treasure in the field and, and you're my treasure in the field and we have each other. Because you won't have to do ministry in heaven. You won't have to heal the sick. There won't be any. You won't have to cast out demons. They don't belong there. You won't have to, uh, you know, preach the gospel to people so that their minds are set free from lies. There won't be any lies. What there will be is worship. What there will be is communion and intimacy and relationship with God. That's what there will be. Is this okay? So, so isn't it interesting that Jesus, in, well, sorry, Paul in Ephesians 4, he, he's writing and he goes... <laughs> He says, the one who ascended is also the one who descended. (laughs) Um, Verse 9. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also had previously descended from the heights of heaven into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the very same as he who also has ascended high above all the heavens, that he, his presence, might fill all things. So he's saying, Jesus, the one who died, went right to the depths of hell conquered hell and also ascended to the heavens at the right hand of the Father He did that so that He His presence might fill all things now that's quite exciting it's like oh He did that so that He would be in us and now through the Holy Spirit He is it sounds like we're beginning to step into Revelation 21 and 22 are you seeing it? and then He says this and He Himself appointed some as apostles some as prophets some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. And he did this to fully equip and perfect the saints for works of service, or some translations will say ministry. But it doesn't stop there. That's where people stop, and they put that on their church websites, or on their ministry websites, and it's like, this is what we're about. Equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Please read the rest of the scripture. It's not a full stop, it's a comma. Okay? I'm being cheeky, but you get what I'm saying? To build up the body of Christ until we all reach oneness in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. To become a mature believer, reaching to the measure of the fullness of Christ. Are you seeing what I'm, what I'm seeing here? Now, if you put the fivefold gifts and ministry expressions, put it into the context of everything that I've just said. Oh, He gave these gifts to actually equip the saints... For the work of serving one another, ministering to one another, for what purpose? That we would all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. In other words, the role of an apostle or a prophet or an evangelist or a teacher or a pastor is not to produce other apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, and pastors. The role is to equip the church to walk in Christ. We've made the goal of our Christianity ministry. Which one am I? Now we try to fit the whole church into five gifts. What on earth? Where did we, where did we jump off here? It's so clear that if we read this in context, if we understand the heart of God, if, if we see the consistency of His nature throughout Scripture, He's not after gifts. He's after a bride that looks like Him and walks like Him. And it's interesting, you go, well, how do we walk like him? Because this is where the legalism creeps in. It's like, yeah, God's grace is so wild that he saved me and set me apart. Now I've got to walk like him. And that's when we start to do the performance thing. But in Colossians, it says, as you received Christ, so walk in him. Well, how did you receive him? You didn't have to perform. You had nothing to do. You you couldn't perform. So how did you receive him? You received him by faith. You said, thank you. It's mine. So he says, as you received him, so walk in him. So how do you walk in Christ? Well, oh, just say thank you. Just walk in faith. Just believe. Just go, yeah, that's, that's mine. Thank you, Lord. And I know that the more I thank him for something, the more it becomes real to me. When people come to me and go like, I just don't understand this faith thing. And I'm like, well, how often are you spending time thanking him? Because I know that gratitude leads me into faith. It leads me into that place of believing. In fact, it says that. It says, as you receive Christ, so walk in him, right? And then at the end, it says, overflowing gratitude, that's the evidence of walking in Him, is that you're thankful. So my heart is, guys, what we, what we don't want to be as the church. I don't even know what time it is, sorry. Oh, we're good, we're good. <laughs> what I don't want to be is a church that walk in ministry expressions, but no substance of God. Because if people look at our lives and what they see is ministry, but they don't see Jesus, we've missed it. Are you with me? I, I actually, recently, the Lord's really been doing this in my heart, and I haven't had language for it. This is, you, I'm letting you into my world as I'm on this journey with the Lord. But I've started to feel so uncomfortable with this, the, the pressurized evangelism thing. where, where I, My heart is I want people to know that they're loved, and I, I want to reach out and pray for people, and I want to be obedient to the Lord. But the moment that there's pressure on, on us or on them, we have missed it. The moment that the success, let me, let me put it like this, there are, so, there are more ministries, itinerant parachurch ministries than ever before in the world, and I understand why they were started, and there's no zero judgment or criticism, because if anything, the church needs to rise up. I get that. However, what, what really worries me is that what we measure as success is how many crusades we do, how much street evangelism we're doing. This is how we're measuring stuff. It's like, well, what are you doing? I have people still, um, no one here in this room, but People come to me and go, well, what are we doing for the poor? And my response is just the same now for years. I don't know what you're doing for the poor. What are you doing for the poor? Because I didn't realize that I was the church and you just attended it. That doesn't make sense. We are the church. We take care of each other. We take care of the poor. We take care of orphans and widows. We minister to Jesus together. It's why it's so precious and valuable that we come together and do this, regardless on how you feel. That's why, like, this, this morning, I just took the pressure off. Because I walked in, I was like, okay, hey, well, I can feel it. everybody's tired. And I'm tired. So I was like, you know, the, the good, what I've learned over years and years in church is like, a good leader would grab the microphone and get everybody pumped up to worship the Lord. Right? And I was like, no. <laughs> the reality is, this is not for us. This is for Him. And so I'm not going to choose for your heart how you respond to Him. But I'm grateful that you're here. So let's be together and let's love Him. And if it's a little bit of a broken, weak, whispered love, I'm just grateful that you're here because I know that the Holy Spirit will come on that and release breath and joy. We sing the song, It's your breath in my lungs. Right? No, it actually means something. It doesn't just mean that's the song we sing louder in because now we're talking about His breath. No, actually, He's inside of me. He's leading me in worship. Do you get what I'm saying? So I don't want to be a a group of people where people... See ministry expressions, but look at our lives and and don't see the substance of God. In John 4, we see the woman at the well, and the Lord's been really speaking to me about this. Um, Oh, I'm trying to do this one without crying. What we need as the church is Jesus for who He is, not for who we've painted Him out to be. Do you hear me? Because Jesus... Like I said, his life, if his life is the model, he seems to break all of the molds that we try to fit ourselves into. Now, I'm not giving you a reason not to come to church. (laughs) That's what people do. It's like, yeah, Jesus broke all the molds. So, like, I'm over this church thing. Then you're just over the gospel. So, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying I look at his life and I go, here's a man who they're walking to Samaria. And Jesus sends his disciples to go and get some food and stuff. And he decides, I'm going to go sit at a well. And I'm going to wait for one little lady. Not any lady. A lady who is broken, messed up, stuck in cycles of sin, has no hope, can't even come and get water with all the other ladies, has to do it in the heat of the day when no one else is at the well. That lady. Our Jesus goes, off you go, get some food. I want to go sit at a well and wait for her. I don't know if you're catching this. I don't think Jesus is so big on performance. I don't think he's intimidated by what you think you're getting right and wrong. He's sitting at a well, he's waiting for a woman, and she comes. Now, what's messing me up in a good way is just thinking about our Jesus walking up to a well, sitting on the side of the well, and waiting for her, and then she comes, and I'm just thinking about how he feels, watching her come to the well, knowing I'm here for you, that I sent my disciples away because I just want to be with you, right, and she comes, and she's got some attitude, <laughs> and Jesus, he knows everything about her, and he starts to like tell her, and she's going like, oh, you're a prophet, and she's you know, a bit cheeky with him, if you read this. She's a little cheeky, let's be real. You Jews think that you, know, you, can just, you only have to worship in the temple. We can worship on the mountain, and so who's right and who's wrong? And she's having this whole thing. And Jesus is just sitting there. I just picture him looking at her like, I love you. And she doesn't even know that he's here for her. She's just doing her thing. And the next thing he goes, can you give me a drink? Ah, this rocks me. And you give me a drink and then he explains he says actually if you knew who I was you'd be asking me for a drink and she gives some attitude back to that like oh excuse me you know here's this Jewish man oh, you want me to give you a drink now you're saying actually if I knew who you were I'd be asking you for a drink just this is real life but he's saying this and he goes and then he explains why he says the water that I give it's living waters and if you drink of this water you'll never thirst again In other words, who I am to you will satisfy you in every way. You will never again lack or need anything else, right? And he says, he prophesies, you've been with five men, the one that you've had husbands, the one you're with now is not your husband. Basically tells her, I know you. I know your sin. I know your mess. I know your struggle. I know everything about you. And my answer to you is, will you drink my living waters? Jesus' response to our mess is, will you receive me? I hope you're, you're hearing this. And so he's inviting this woman into this encounter. And as she begins to understand this, as the revelation hits her heart, this is what blows my mind. She has an encounter with Jesus at the well, and her life is flipped upside down. If you study, her name was Fatine or Fatina. If you study her life, uh, she, she runs off, begins to tell her town, and they have this massive harvest because a whole bunch of people come out. This crazy lady runs, the, the sinful lady runs into the town going like, I just met a man who's the Messiah. He told me everything I've ever done. He's the one. And she doesn't give a tortoise what they think. She's a, <laughs> that's my dad that's coming out. Doesn't give a tortoise what they think, but, but she's just going, you've got to meet him. And so suddenly a whole town is touched by the revelation of Jesus. But what's crazy is that history records her life. She became a crazy, wild lover of Jesus who preached the gospel everywhere. In fact, here's where I want to go with this, and I'm going to wrap it up. She experienced the most horrific torture and persecution. Her sister was split in two in front of her. Her sons, they cut the legs off of her sons. Slowly, one by one, just to intimidate her and scare her. Do you know that her sons are known to have hobbled around? I can't remember the Greek name for it, but they had a nickname for them because they walked around on their stumps to preach the gospel. Do you know that for teen, there's a story that she ended up before Nero. And in fact, she ended up ministering to Nero's daughter. How wild is that? And what they did to her, trying to get her to deny Jesus, is that they put her hands on the table and took hammers and smashed her hands. Do you know how she died? This one gets me. Uh-huh. Stories, in the, the historians and early writers actually say that they skinned her and threw her into a well. Now, what messes me up is when I read about, I've been studying, again, the first thousand years of the church, and, and uh, Tertullian, he's one of them, and there's also Arrhenius, and there's a few, but anyway. Uh, I, I can't remember if it was Tertullian or Arrhenius. One of them, Ignatius, that was his name. He, uh, he was in Antioch. He was kind of like the head leader in Antioch, and he gets arrested to go to Rome, and they're going to feed him to the lions, that's what's gonna happen. And he writes a letter to the believers about how he longs for the lions. See, like we, Western Christianity doesn't have, we, we're lacking this substance of like, I'm about to go and be fed to a bunch of crazy lions for my faith. And the letter that I write to the church is I long for the lions. And the way he described it is he said, I wanna be bred for the lions. He says, I I want my body to be broken as bread. And then he goes, the bread of Christ. Like the look that you're all giving me right now, that's what I'm talking about. We don't get this. We're like, we don't get this. And I'm going, Lord, do this in us. Like, what is that? I I, I read this and I am profoundly challenged to the core of my being. Who does that? What, have you, what happened to you? I look at Fatina and 14, I'm like, you had an experience with him. this man at a well and your life was changed, that you would endure what you endured. And, and here's, here's what I'm getting to. The testimony of Jesus was not in healing. It wasn't in breakthrough, financial provision. It wasn't in any of that. It was in endurance. Are you hearing me? It's like this woman... And and again, time and time again, I'll use Paul as an example. He's the same guy who would touch hankies and items of clothing they would take it, put it on people and they'd get healed. That same guy is the one who got whipped 39 times on his back, three times. Where he would have had to lie on his stomach for weeks while they treated the wounds on his back. He's the same guy who said, the Holy Spirit testifies to me that every city I go to, beatings and imprisonment await me. I don't know if you're catching what I'm saying. It's like... It can't be measured by the results. The success of of their Christianity, the success of, of life in Christ was measured by knowing Him and giving everything to Him. Endurance. And so I said this to my dad on Friday. I said, Dad, I want to just encourage you. I said, the testimony right now is not whether you've, we've seen the evidence of your healing or not. The testimony is that every day when I come and see if you're okay, you're sitting on your couch with your Bible open, and you're worshiping the Lord, and you're getting into the Word, and you're, you're wrapped up in Him, and you love Him, and you're excited to tell me this new thing that you found in the Word. And, and it's like his relationship with God has not been rocked because something hasn't changed in his back we've got to to go, that's the testimony of Jesus, is that we endure when we don't see the breakthrough. We endure when we don't see the result. Why? Because it's not up to that. I didn't give my life to a results oriented Christianity. I gave my life to a man who met me at a well, who changed my whole life. Do you get what I'm saying? Is this making sense? And so if we understand what we need right now, and and my heart is like, God, do it in me. I'm desperate for this. I I want to come into this place with Him where it is not about what I think I can do for God or what I think I can't do. It's about the reality and the substance of who He is in my life. I don't need to understand to have a relationship with God. Do you get what I'm saying? I don't need to have it figured out to have a relationship with Him. My relationship with Jesus is not based on answers. That'll change everything. I was reading this book that I told our Turkey team not to read before Turkey. You can read it afterwards. If you read it before, you might be scared. But it's the story of Andrew Brunson. I don't know if you guys remember. He was in the news. He was arrested in Turkey. Actually, in the place where we were going. Um, don't read it, team. Don't read it. Um, but it's the story of Andrew Brunson, who was arrested, and, and he was in jail for, I think, nearly three years. And it's what happened. And, and he was used as a political uh, pawn, whatever, and, and between America and Turkey. And thank God for America, who actually fought to get him out. It's a whole long story, but I'm reading this. And what's rocking me is, he said, the first, like, six months in prison, he was completely broken. Because all that was going through his head was, God, how could you let this happen to me? I've served you for 23 years in Turkey. And I and I love the fact that he put this in his book. And he said, I'm not gonna tell you that yeah, it was all easy and I came out strong. So I'm gonna tell you what it was really like. So I was stripped to the bare bones of my Christianity where I thought, I don't even know what you're like anymore, God. Why would you let this happen to me? Why would you and that's where he found himself and suddenly he goes on this journey of surrender and he begins to write about how, Lord, okay, hold on, I'm starting to get it. Take your glory. Like he's been separated from his wife and his kids, he's in a Turkish jail. It's rough, <laughs> the stories are horrific. And he's going, Okay, I'm, I'm starting to get this, Lord, take your glory. And then he says this at the end of his book. He says, There were multiple times where they, they, he was on the brink of release, and on the night that the decision was being made, the Lord would speak to him and say, Will you endure? And then he would pray about it and go, okay, God, I'll endure." He didn't know what the outcome would be. And suddenly it looked like everything was gonna, he was going to be released and then boom, he wasn't. And he was back in jail for another six months. And this happened two or three times. And he says at the end of this, when he was finally released, and he began to process those two and a half, three years with God, he began to think about it and he said he realized something. He said on those nights when he was about to be released, he thinks that if he had said to God, Lord, I can't, God would have taken him out. Now this will challenge the Western understanding of the gospel. Why would God, well this is the thing, why would God allow Paul to go through what he went through? Why why was Peter crucified upside down and Andrew stretched on an X cross and why were they martyred and killed and and brutally tortured? We question like, well what good God would do that? Who do you think you are that we think we can measure the goodness of God? We think we can decide. No, the, the cry is God take your glory in my life. The reason why we don't understand this is because we, we live by flesh. We live by feelings. And God's saying, I don't want you to live by those things. I didn't create you that way. It will never satisfy you. Come to the well and drink of the living waters. And I promise you, you'll never be the same again. I will turn your life upside down. Every day you will walk in the reality. You know, for Tina and for Tina, she, when Jesus ascended, they didn't have him like they had him before. Yet their lives got more and more wild. I always go like, oh, people use that excuse. Well, they walked with him physically. I'm like, yeah, but he left. And then all they had was what we have. And yet their lives didn't wind down. It got more intense. They gave more. So my heart is, I'm going, there's something that God wants to do in us as the people of God. Where we live in the reality and the substance of who he is every day. At his pace. At his temper. Not based on the results, not based on the outcomes, but just being faithful to who He is in us and who we are in Him. And that's that place of abiding. That's that fruitful place. And so we know His mercies are new every day. That's our God. His grace is sufficient. His power is made perfect in our weakness. It's like if we, if we understand these things, it should stir your heart to go. Like, he, he really wants you to be everything that he paid for. And he's done everything that's required. So how do we respond to this? Well, this is, this is where I'm at. I, I'm like, Lord, I think all across the Western church, a good start would be to stop. Stop trying. Stop trying to perform. Stop trying to impress. Stop trying to have it all together. Just stop. And just come and be real transparent with Jesus, even if you got some attitude. Because <laughs> the reality is he is just so not intimidated by that. He's sitting at the well and he's waiting for his bride. Remember that this is the, this is the kind of Jesus who's, uh, the way I see it and believe it, is he's on his way from death and Hades with the keys up to the right hand of the Father. And, and he, he's between the two realms and he sees Mary Magdalene crying at the empty tomb. And he stops. That's our Jesus. Our Jesus is the one who, a woman is caught in adultery and they bring her. I don't know why they didn't bring the man, but they just bring her because it takes two to tango. But they bring her and she's broken. She's been caught in, in sin. right? And, and the, the religious Pharisees, their response is, well, this is what the law says. She should be stoned. And I love Jesus, man. This is what I say, like, just... Let the person of Jesus come alive in your heart. He's standing there and he begins to write in the sand. We don't know what he wrote. And then he goes, okay. Any one of you who've never sinned, go for it. You throw it. Throw the first stone. And it's like this thing hits their heart of like, oh shucks. (laughs) And what Jesus was saying is, your hidden little bit of pride your little sin your, that nobody knows about that's just you you think that that's less than this because this is public i say it's the same and so what he does is he brings that let's level the playing field you're all actually you've missed it and there's only one who can judge and i'm not going to and he says who condemns you she goes no one lord and then guess what his response is picture up go and sin no more well, that's interesting because Jesus took the emphasis off of, no condemn, off of condemnation and said, no condemnation. You're not guilty. I don't judge you. I don't condemn you. And the response to that is, now I'm free to live the way that you called me to live, the way I was designed to live. This is our Jesus. This is the one we need to know every day. This is the one that we need to be present with. This is the one, I, I, I'm just being honest with you, I can't see that Jesus saying, by the way, there's going to come a time where you're going to have to endure seven years of absolute horror. And then I'll come and rescue you out of that. It's just not consistent with his nature. It's not consistent with the writings. Why did, they, why did Paul and Peter and these guys not prepare anyone for that? And you go, well, because John hadn't had the, the revelation. I'm like, well, then Jesus is pretty twisted that he starts his church out and doesn't give them that. Waits for them to die and then goes, hey, John, you can have it. It doesn't make sense. think It's the revelation of Jesus. And and let me just say this, because some of you might be in total agreement, disagreement with me, and that's okay. But don't you think that what I'm saying makes you ready either way? Let's say I'm wrong and you but you just stick to what I just said. If it comes and it is legit and there's seven years and then a thousand years, well, you'll be ready because you'll be in Christ. So what I'm saying to you is not taking you away from anything. It's just setting you up to be who God's called you to be. Are you with me? So my prayer for us um, this morning that came out a little different than I thought, but my my prayer for us this morning is that I think every single one of us need to stop. Need to come into that place with Jesus where we're receiving who He is and walking in that way. As we receive, we walk in Him. Where we're not Uh, defined by the results. We don't have to perform. We can be authentic sons and daughters of God who walk in relationship with Him that's not based on understanding. It's based on the knowledge and revelation of who He is. And when we come together like this, we know that we're being equipped, yes, for the works of service and ministry. For what purpose? The building up of the body, the bride that He's coming back for, until we all reach maturity and oneness in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. Until we're in that full stature of who he is. The perfect man. Then, he's going to wipe out everything that opposes Christ. And suddenly we're going to be in this place where we're with him for all of eternity. Ruling and reigning. We are the dwelling place of God. It's happening now. It's going to be in fullness. Complete fullness soon. We'll put off these fleshly bodies and we'll be in that perfect place. But until then, don't walk by the flesh. Walk by the spirit. Be with me? Devil has no authority. You have the authority. Don't give it to. Him. Will you stand with me? Can we? Do you want to jump on? We'll just do one song just to end. My heart this morning uh, really is to encourage you, and um, to strip away all of the masks and the facade and the, the stuff that can so quickly come. We don't even know it's there. You know, it just starts to layer up. Um, but when we strip all of that and we come back in authenticity with the Lord. I really believe there's an invitation where the Lord wants to meet with you, not just now. He wants to meet with you every day. Uh, I've just been marked by that saying, "Lord, you're sitting at a well, waiting for me." Like that, that really ministers to me that you you want to give me living waters every day, fresh revelation. I want to be I want to be washed in the living waters of God.